Welcome to Trading for Keeps. This is Brian. And this is Michael. Today, we've got a special guest with us, Jack Catalog or Jackaroo Trades. Uh, another Timothy Sykes student. Just seems like Timothy Sykes is turning out all the, uh, all the good students who are trying to get the secret sauce out of these guys. But welcome to the podcast, Jack. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on. Well, we're, we're excited to have you on. I understand just this week you passed $900,000 in profits. Is that correct? Yeah, $900,000 uh, overall, about 49000 this week. So it was a pretty good week for me, mainly trading uh, LKNCY. Well, awesome. Congratulations to you. Um, as much as we you know, want to know all the secrets that got you to, to, to make that trade where you made $49,000, I want to back up a little bit because I think most people don't even have a $49,000 account and you, you know, so I want to get back to what, what brought you to trading in the first place. Can you tell us about your first interaction with the market? Yeah, sure. So I had just graduated high school in June of 2016. And I knew that college was not an option for me because I would have just went and partied and not really taken the education seriously. I felt like I would just waste time and money. And in high school, I had already kind of done that for four years where my parents weren't really like strict with everything that I did, even though I was an only child. So they still did kind of like, okay, Jack, Jack, Jack a little bit, but they still let me freely do what I want to do. So I got all of that kind of, you know, going against the parents and kind of doing whatever. So it kind of matured me a little bit faster. And all these people that were in high school, you know, they want to go to college and they want to go party and do all this and with the girls and all this. But for me, I was like, all right, I want to take my next step. I want to start uh, making money. I want to start getting my life together. So at first I thought that firefighting would be a good option for me because they work 24 hours on or 48 hours on, and then they get two or three days off. So I thought that I could do a side business and then have a pension as well and good benefits. And I thought firefighting, you know, adrenaline rush, that's kind of what I'm into. Like not something that's boring where I'm just going to sit there and not do anything. So I started kind of doing that. I got my uh, EMT, emergency medical technician, uh, people that are on an ambulance. So I got that. And then started volunteering for my firehouse a little bit, but it just wasn't really connecting with me and I didn't really uh, enjoy it at all. And then one day I was at the gym. I was big into the gym during high school. I always took it the most serious out of all my friends. Uh, I love just like getting a little bit better at something every single day. That's, uh, you know, like lifting, look better, do all this kind of thing. And it's like you kind of burst yourself. So this you is where like, were you an athlete? Did you play a sport? Yeah. So I played pretty much all sports growing up, but my number one sport that I was best at was soccer. Okay. And um, kind of just took that into the gym. But then I started getting into the gym more. And that was kind of my favorite thing to do was to go to the gym, get a little better, like have an eating pattern. So I did that throughout my late years in high school and into the early um, firefighting. And then one day I was at the gym ran across an old friend. Uh, it was actually January of 2017. And this was right after I had made my New Year's resolution to get invested into penny stocks or not penny stocks, just any stocks whatsoever, because I had saved up money from a valet job, which I kind of forgot to mention, but I was working valet as soon as I got my license. Uh, my neighbor is 
uncle was the general manager of a valet company. So he got me a really good position valeting at a five-star restaurant at a young age. So I saved up a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of expenses, probably had like 10 or 15 grand saved up. And then I wanted to get into stocks. So I was opening up a Robinhood account, but I ran into my old friend at the gym. We started talking. He told me Tim Sykes, Penny Stocks and the route that he was going. So I immediately hopped on that. We bonded very quickly again. And then basically I started going over his house. We started watching stocks together. And this was right after, if you guys know, or the listeners know where Dry's ticker symbol D-R-Y-S, it went from like five to 120. Yes, the most epic short squeeze of, of possibly of all time. Yeah, so basically he was showing me that and I was blown away that a stock could do that as coming into it. I just thought like, Oh, you buy stocks and you're invested and they go up and maybe you make money. They go down. You have to hold for a long time, but I didn't understand the concept of day trading uh, small cap supernovas like that. So he kind of showed me that. And then that month of January, 2017, there was a supernova called ETRM and it went from like two to 20 and I watched it live every single day. So that's what really like gave me the confidence. Like, okay, like this is a hundred percent, like what I want to do. I got to see it live. I've seen supernovas in the past and this is just like super fascinating that the stocks, these stocks can move like this, especially based on a technical standpoint where I don't have to do fundamental research necessarily if I don't want to. So I saw those stocks going crazy And then from there, that's the month that I joined the Tim Sykes Challenge. And basically that entire year was just studying. Traded a little bit here and there where I'd get into it, but I was either lose small or win small. And it it didn't really add up to anything. I think I was down like one, two, three grand maybe on the year. And I was doing some paper trading as well, really just trying to dip my toes in. And while doing this too, I was still saving up money for my valet job. So when 2018 did come around, I had 30,000 to start over the PDT, which was a goal of mine. I didn't want to start below because I, I kind of traded below the PDT and it was just messing with my head where I didn't want to cut positions because I couldn't get back in. I wasn't disciplined to wait for only three trades a month. I wasn't good at overnighting trades. So I just said, I'm just going to save up. I'm just going to study, got over the PDT 2018. And then I started to short sell. And this was kind of, my first mistake where I started off the beginning shorting and with shorting, there's so many fees involved that I was paying 30, 40, 50% of my gains in short locates overnight fees, commission, ECN fees. Um, so I wasn't really getting anywhere fast, but I was being consistently profitable. I did have an above 51%. I was making more than I was losing. So I was going in the right direction. And then I was getting up, you know, a couple grand a month. And then May 2017 came around when Turtle Beach, uh, ticker symbol H-E-A-R, it went from like two to like 40. But um, I got caught on the big squeeze day where it went from like 10 to 19. I got, I started shorting it uh, near the open, near 10 bucks. And I kept adding to my loser. And eventually I was all in and I lost like 30% of my account, unfortunately, which was like... Uh, eight grand, nine grand, something like that at the time. So let and- me, I'm curious about something because you had seen some of these parabolic moves. You saw Dry's 
Uh, you had mentioned another one that just made these parabolic moves to the high side from two to, I, I forget what dries dries ended up at 105. You said you saw another one go from two to 20. What brought you to short sell? And for our listeners who don't know what short selling is short selling is when you sell high and buy low. So you're just basically betting that a stock's going to go down where the traditional route is you buy low and sell high. Uh, but what, what brought you to short selling after kind of seeing these other, these parabolic moves going up? Um, basically what brought me to short selling was seeing how well other traders were doing with it. Fair um, Ducks, Tim Grittani, uh, Michael Hudson, they were all short selling and they were ba- making the most money on profit least. So I said, I want to do what they're doing. You know what I mean? Um, so that's why I started short selling. And when I did kind of buy stocks, it was always very hard for me to hold. I would get in at the wrong spots, but shorting, I kind of understood that I didn't want to chase. And just the way my mind works, I just like, I see why stocks can go down, but like, I'm not always convicted like that a stock can go up. So it just helps with my comfort levels, um, to short because it makes more sense in my head. Okay. that makes perfect sense. So really you had to, had to go with what works for you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's one of the big things that any trader has to figure out that you can't just follow somebody else's lead. You can't just do what somebody else's do because you're not that person trading. So incredibly highly personal that you Mm -hmm. have to be able to, uh, to really, yeah, find, find your own personal niche and find what you're personally comfortable with and mentally. All right. So that makes a lot of sense. Awesome. And so, so what, where, where did it go from there? Where I'll say, I know you, you basically, you were starting to short, you were, but you know, making some gains, how did it go from there? So after that, when I took that huge loss, um, my account went back in, uh, the low twenties kind of, I forgot exactly what the numbers were because I was so emotionally devastated, but was I knew that I didn't have below enough. the PDT rule. Yeah. It was like 22, 23 grand. I knew that I didn't have enough to trade. So I took a few months off. Uh, I actually sold a couple of my quads from my childhood. So like I sacrificed everything and I saved up some money and I was talking to this trader who's named Dominic Master Mateo. And he was a long bias trader and he kind of um, showed me like his patterns and his, his ways which were very similar to what Tim Sykes teaches. He just traded breakouts, dip buys, uh, first green days. And fortunately for me, I had saved up enough money again by uh, July and August. And I actually went out and we became really good friends. I went out to where he lives and we started trading. I just saw him trade. I just watched him trade for two weeks and I lost $500, but I watched him make 7,000. And then from there, I had, I went home back to Connecticut and it was just, it's pretty much just been straight up since then. I made 10,000 in September, 12,000 in October after that. And then it just started slowly increasing my gains and building my account. And eventually I got up to the six figure mark in um, early 2019. And that was just from going long. So then I had grown my account. Um, to a hundred thousand. And I did move out to stay with Dom for a year and we traded together and we actually took in some students that were in the area, some of his local friends. And we kind of had a little bit of an office going on in 2019. And it was great to start the year. 
But then it started to become summertime in 2019 and all of my trading patterns just stopped working. Like I wasn't making much money at all. I was making like two or three grand a month. And this was really challenging because in February of 2019, that was my best month in 2019. I made uh, 47,000, I think. And wow. after that, I couldn't get anything going for six months. So during the summertime, I was just studying um, new patterns. I was, this was probably the hardest I'd ever worked because I had made so much money and then it just it completely cut off. So I was super frustrated and I was working pretty much every single day, all day. I was watching the market all day. I was tracking data. I was rewatching tape and slow-mo after hours. And I was just practicing and showing up every single day, no matter what. And I didn't have a lot of friends or family where I was because I moved out to Dom. And so I just had basically was grinding 15 hour days every single day in the summer. But then um, the fall came and my first big step on getting back on track was I had to make a presentation for Tim Sykes's conference in 2019. Yes, I was there. <laughs> you were there? Yeah. So that was my first turning point where I started to make a presentation and I was reiterating my rules and I was kind of like looking and seeing that, you know, I wasn't following these rules. Like I wasn't, I wasn't being disciplined and I was trying to do other things because maybe I thought like I was already beyond the point that I was. So after September, the market started to get a little bit hot again and I started consistently making money into the end of the year. And things didn't really turn on until um, now we're getting into 2020. So I had moved back home to Connecticut because um, I was just missing my family and friends. I frankly was getting a little bit depressed in Michigan. I didn't really have much to do. And I was just, you know, working the entire time. And my friends, like they had lives out there, you know what I mean? And I was just kind of stuck in an apartment just with trading all day, but got back to Connecticut and... Uh, actually something that really helped me was I met a girl at the conference and which is now my current girlfriend, but just talking to her every day and she's been very supportive of me and I've been very supportive of her. So she's been um, very good for my mental mindset and everything because my parents don't really um, understand or friends don't really understand what I'm doing. So I met her and then I came back home and uh, 2020 happened. Basically, like this year, I'm up 750,000. And it basically just has come from all the COVID stocks and all those hours that I put in in 2019 during those summer times where I wasn't really making much money. I was gaining so much knowledge and I was preparing myself for when this um, time did come because now profitable long and short NASDAQs, profitable long and short OTCs. And I was putting in all this work in the middle of 2019, but I was not seeing any results, but I was learning so much because I was dedicating so much time. And uh, what really got it, like the jump start going was um, RIVX, which was a position that I was shorting. And it was like a swing trade that I had to make a plan on for like two or three months because it was an OTC promotion. So I got short maybe at like five or six bucks and it went to like 10 or something, but you put in small enough so that you can hold through 
the the pump because then when it dumps it offers a 100 reward because these pumps usually go to to nothing it's not a very familiar pattern anymore but this trade got my short selling broker um above that 30k because after i did make 100 grand i split my accounts up some for longing some for shorting and that was the first big short trade that i had that kind of started fueling my my short trades and I always was a short seller since the beginning. That's what I wanted to do, right? Because longing, I never really could size up big. Like I said, it just doesn't work with my brain too much. Even though I can make consistent profits, I can't really scale up and push the way I do when I'm shorting. Can I just interrupt you for just a quick second? So you said you split up your account into multiple brokerages and then you, you use them for different purposes. Can you maybe just go into a little bit more detail, explain like, you know, what, what's the logic behind there and, you know, how many different brokerages you're using and, and, and just some of that uh, strategy there? Sure. So when I did make the 100 grand in early 2019, like I said, my strategy of longing um, these breakouts, dip buys and first green days stopped working. And that's when I had to split up all these brokerage accounts. And I had to open up certain brokers for shorting OTCs, certain brokers for shorting NASDAQ, needed my uh, broker to go long. So I, I opened up like three or four brokerages and they all kind of had different strategies that I wanted to improve on. And like I said, in 2019, during that summertime, that's when I was really studying and tracking um, all these patterns. And then when all the patterns do turn on, that's why I got paid handsomely in 2020 because I was preparing through those slow times and RIVX at the beginning of 2020 gave me that jump to get my account, my shorting account to 50, 60 grand. And then we got, we saw the first round of the COVID stocks and my accounts went into the six figures. And I've just slowly been able to grow those three accounts after I made that hundred thousand, I split it up between, you know, 30, 30, 30, and maybe like 10 or 15, like a smaller one. And now I've been able to grow those three thirties into 300,000, pretty much all three of them. And that is my, that's kind of what happened with it. If that answers your question. Ryan, does that, does oh, that yeah. answer the question? No, that's yeah. That's an, yeah. I appreciate the response. All right. So, and now, and now currently, you know, that was the beginning of COVID and now we've had just an incredible year. 2020 has been like, you know, I've, I also started trading in 2017, but you know, from the people that have been around for a few decades, they're all saying that 2020 is a year, like, like nothing else. The market has never behaved this wildly and you've been very successful with it. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's awesome. But I did want to back up a little bit. One of the things you mentioned is you saved money. And I just want to touch on that because I think that it's worth noting and you might want to elaborate on this some, but it's worth noting that people that are bad with money to begin with, you know, you can't, I feel like they're not necessarily going to make the good traders because, you know, bankroll management is a, I think a pretty big part of trading. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. Like just based on like a person's wallet, like if somebody takes out their wallet and like there's crumpled up money, like all over the place and like, they don't know how much they have in their bank account and they're late on bills and they just don't have good money management. Like one of my friends, his dad went to Harvard like he got pretty much a perfect score on his SAT. He's a programmer. Like he tried to get into trading and he just couldn't do it just because he doesn't, he's not, you know, OCD in particular and um, with his financials and just being very strict and disciplined on your account and just knowing 
um, what's working. You have to be aware of everything that's going on, through how all your money is moving around. And then once you have a better understanding of money, that can really help you in trading. And then another thing I've noticed, we, we, you know, we've had Matt Monaco on, we've had Kyle Williams on, uh, and we've also had you on. So, and I'm doing the math. You're, are you 22, 23 years old? I'm 22. 22 years old. So awesome. So 22 years old. I'm almost wondering, I'm just had the thought now, but I'm wondering if the, you know, coming into this younger without these preconceived notions about what the market should do, do you think that helped you some? Yeah, I think that really helped me a lot where I just like see people like nowadays, I just find it pretty hysterical because I see people's like they think the market's one thing which I kind of did too. I thought the market was one thing, but you really don't understand really what the market is and really what penny stocks are and how they operate. Um, if you don't like study it, whereas people like have a preconceived, okay, it works like this and does that and does this. And I came in very naive. So I didn't have a strong opinion when I heard like other things, I kind of like took all the information because I, I just, I listened to like all the chat with traders obviously studied Sykes, Gratani and all these people and just absorbed all the information like a sponge. And then with all the information that I learned, then I made, um, you know, what I think in my head about penny stocks. So you so, never, and you knew never to believe in a company. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I was cynical from the beginning because it just, like I said, it just makes more sense to me shorting. Um, like, I feel like it's a lot easier to find overvalued junk than undervalued gold. Um, where it's kind of hard to find that conviction. Like, like, I think it's personally kind of, I think it's more gambling when you're betting on a stock going up because how do you know like that a stock's really going to go up? Like how can you hold through all these dips and, and with shorting when a stock is extended thousands of percent, you know that it's probably going to have a pullback, like very high odds going to have a pullback at some time. And then it just comes down to timing and not getting too stubborn on your position. You can't, have a big ego and not cut. You just need to be very disciplined. You need to wait, you need to stock it, get like a bunch of small trades in during the beginning. And that's kind of what I like what I did with LKNCY this week, where I traded it every single day, got a feel for it every single day. And then when my price action, my backside price action comes along, and then I can slam it because I've been following the stock for a week. And when my big trade sets up, I'm very confident in that. And that's what gives me the conviction to size up. And I think it's worth noting that you said LKNCY. I think I saw in your profitly that you had shorted at least a couple of times. I want to say one was right near $20,000 and one was $16,000. And that was some stalking it for a long time. Cause I know that stock's actually been in play for, for several weeks now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I basically started trading that stock probably like a couple of weeks ago where I would just buy it and I would make maybe $500 on the front side, like $1,000 on the front side. And like I said, I'm just, I'm building my realized cushion. So when the big trade does come along, I've realized enough gains. Even if the big trade goes against me, I still have realized enough gains where it's just going to eat at like my profits. Where if, if somebody just sees a stock and there's hit it right away with big size, like you haven't been watching it. Like I have um, for multiple weeks and the trade, those two trades were um, 19 and 16,000 or 17,000, whatever it was. But that was also like a lot of trades during the day where 
Um, maybe like 60, 70% of that gain is from one trade, but then I still will scalp in and out a little bit just to keep adding and wallet padding. And basically I'm just trying to make the most amount of money possible. Like I'm trying to see the stock fully through. I'm trying to watch the stock the entire day and do the best possible job that I can do trading the stock. And that's like what a lot of people don't understand is that these stocks offer multiple opportunities throughout the entire day. The one, uh, the most volume and the move in the morning, the most volatility, that is where I would take my most size. But even though I made like um, 30,000 in the first 15 minutes, I'm still going to sit there for the next six hours to make a few more grand and just try to maximize the trade as best as I can. And for me, like as a trader, it's not even about the money anymore, but it's about trading to the best of my ability. Like um, I want to do the best I can with the liquidity that the stock offers. And I want to now kind of try to master the liquidity and do as best as I can and keep, you know, slowly sizing up as my account gets bigger. And as these plays get more and more ideal. I think that's it's really interesting. I think your whole story and even this part, it, a lot of the, I think the virtue is like patience, you know, even when you lost, you know, that, that huge loss early in trading. And I think a lot of traders have that one loss. They can all tell you the story. They can all tell you the sticker in the very beginning, but they learn from it. But when you took that 20 30% loss, you actually were patient, stayed out of the market, saved up to get past the PDT. And then here, when you're following Luke and coffee, you're very patient, you know, studying that over time. I think that's just um, a really, I guess, important, you know, characteristic that traders have to have. But I'm just curious, you know, you know, when you had that 20 to 30% loss, I'm sure it was very tempting to just go all in in the next trade to get, try to get past the PDT. And I know people have dipped below the PDT and they just want to win it back right there. But I guess maybe could you just you know, maybe give some advice to people when that happens. And I, I don't know, I hope this doesn't happen to you, but if you were to lose 20 to 30%, you know, of your account, you know what you would do then, or how, how would you plan to react if that were to happen? So for me, it's all about refreshing, resetting and refocusing. And when I, I did actually struggle a little bit at the end of September because I was moving, I was going on trips and I was doing all these things that wasn't focused on trading. And I actually had my first red week um, the third week in September, which was a little bit over $20,000. First red week the entire year. And what it was for me, the last week of September and the first week of October before this, or this actually was technically the first week of October, I guess, but the last week of September and early into the October days, all it was for me was sizing back down getting a feel again and getting patient and just waiting and slowly building it back up. Like, if you have, if you make a huge mistake, you're not in the right mindset to be putting on a huge trade. It's all about, like I said, is slowly building yourself up. It's the same thing like as momentum. Um, I compare this to basketball a lot where, you know, when you're firing on all cylinders, when you're making great shots and the other team is really lagging, that's when you go for these risky three-point shots. But if you just go down with lower confidence and you just try to pull up a three-point shot after you've kept missing, like the odds are you're going to miss again, where you need to slowly get a layup, get good passes in, and build yourself up again, and then ride that momentum for as long as you can before, you know, eventually it's going to be, you know, the return to medium. Like nothing can ever be like too far this way or too far this way. Like everything will always kind of come together and return to the mean. So that's basically how I'd answer that question. Yeah, right on. Um, I, another point you made was <clears throat> when you built your presentation, when you went to the Psych Conference and you were actually presenting, and I think you did a great job. I've got, actually, I pulled up my, 
my notebook here because I took a lot of notes uh, for Jack Kellogg on your presentation because I really enjoyed it. I thought you did a, a great job. But building the presentation, you said, actually helped you. Mm-hmm. And I think I've noticed that too. Like I started writing out my daily watch list, but I also started publishing it, you know, just unprofitly, you know, just putting it out there for people to, to see how, tell me, talk a little bit about just building the presentation and how that, you know, how that helped uh, take you to the next level. Cause it sounded like you really reached the next level after you left the conference. Yeah, that's really what the turning point was. And think it had to do a little bit with the market becoming a little bit more hot and it was me once again I was refreshing resetting and refocusing and I I built the presentation and it, I really you know once you type everything out and you're very transparent with everything and you have to be you have to think about what you're telling people because it's not as like you're not going to recognize things as much if you just don't write them out and acknowledge them we're say as if you're trying to quit eat, eating cookies after dinner, um, if you don't actually acknowledge it, like if you write down every single day, if you just tap, make a tally mark, like after you eat a cookie every single day and you just look at the calendar, you're going to be able to acknowledge it a lot better. You're going to be more transparent with yourself and you're just going to see it. And you're naturally just going to stop unless you just try to in your head be like, okay, I'm just going to stop. It's all about just acknowledging it and seeing it and being transparent and looking at the data. Um, so that's what I think for that. All right. No, awesome. I think, I think it's perfect, but I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent with you that once you start writing down your plan and that's even what I did on my first pattern, I I'm just now kind of opening up myself to a second and third pattern. My first pattern, I just traded one pattern, uh, for almost a year now. And I wrote down very, very specific rules. And I also shared those rules with people just to kind of have that accountability. And it sounds like the same thing really helped get you to the next level is just writing them down, making a presentation, saying, this is what I'm going to do. And then, and then putting it out there to be, uh, you know, for other people to see. Uh, you also mentioned showing up every day, even though when the market's slow, what, 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 why do you do that? Why do you show up every day? You, you don't just, you know, when the market slows down, you don't just take a couple weeks off. No, um, you gotta be putting in the reps every single day and whatever that is, like, even if it's not like a perfect, like perfect day outside, even though if the sun's not shining and you want to go like shoot your free throws, like, even if it is drizzling a little bit, like somebody that gets out there and like shoots their free throws in the rain, it's going to just have more experience with different conditions like the person that just only goes out there when it's sunny and just shoots when it's sunny out they're not gonna be at the same skill level and mindset that somebody that goes out there every single day and experiences every single wave of the market because even a little bit of information even if you're not making money you're still learning subconsciously you're seeing things you're seeing oh this stock was holding this level this bidder was here at this level and all these little things can help you down the road no, that makes a lot of sense. That absolutely does. So it's really just that uh, almost elite performance like, and I think maybe that even backs up to where, and I think a lot of these are maybe ingrained in you from being an athlete um, where you have to show up every day. You just have to keep pushing, keep pushing. You have to build that reputation or that repetition uh, to be, you know, a, a, whether it be a world-class soccer player or world-class uh, weightlifter or even a good weightlifter, you know, you have to, you have to put in the work every single day. 
Um, so you did say you were putting in 15-hour days, too. Uh, that's long days. I think everyone has a limit to how much they can learn in any one day. Is there Was there tips for getting through that? Did you take breaks at certain times? Did you have certain routines you followed? Because everyone, I think, that develops into a profitable trader, profitable trader has to put in the hours. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't really too big of a routine for me. The only thing that I always like to do is just get outside, go for a walk, clear my head, like get some vitamin D and just that's kind of how I would reset. And whenever I felt like I was burning out, I would just go get outside, um, go listen to like the birds chirping, just like detox my brain of everything and kind of think and reflect about what I just learned and what I just saw. Makes a lot of sense. All right. And that, I think that's a, always an important part to step away from it. If you're just staring at the screen, but not absorbing anything, you need to recognize that. Yeah. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, you know, you, you mentioned kind of mental health earlier. And I guess, you know, if you're for that 15 hours a day, are you, are you staring at the screen? Are you chatting with other traders? Are you trying to socialize too? Are you like, I guess, can you, you know, are you, I think most people, you know, probably listening, you know, maybe they work in a typical office environment. So we have office colleagues and we have people like that, but you know, you're working from home, I can imagine, you know, you're, you're seeing less people. So, I mean, I guess, how do you deal with that? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of friends that like, I will direct message or we'll talk to on the phone or whatever. And that's great, but like, they're not always going to be there. Like they have to go eat and they have to like do things. So you're going to have a lot of time on your own. And while you're doing that, I just suggest maybe listening to music or listening to a podcast and just it's, it's very challenging when it's, you know, no noise coming through and it's just like your brain, you can kind of overthink a lot of things. So even like when I'm driving, I like to just be listening to something and like, um, whatever it is, just so my brain doesn't go down. Like the, like I'm trying to prevent myself from overthinking a lot of things. So I just like something soothing or something, um, in the background that I can just focus on and not, um, overthink and use my brain like in a bad way i want to be very focused on trading with um also being relaxed at the same time all right makes sense you also mentioned uh, that you have a, a girlfriend now that you trade with and you bounce ideas off of each other how does that play into your trading then um we don't really we don't bounce too many ideas off each other i'm actually uh really proud of her because she started with um, just over like $10,000, uh, this year. And she just started trading full-time after the conference. So it was really cool to help her. And now to see her, um, she actually just passed $50,000 in overall profits this week. And it's been really cool just from not knowing like anything from the time that I met her into watching her develop. And I don't even like tell her what to do. Like she doesn't need to talk to me all day. And, I will say like eight out of 10 days, she'll be um, green, maybe even nine. Um, And she's only had just a few red days in the last like four months when the market has been really hot and she just understands and she doesn't, she's not like a guy. So she doesn't get like mad when things don't go her way. She'll take like really small losses and she's just super consistent and um, she's got a really strong mindset and mentality. And it's just helped me, um, stay really cool because in Michigan I was getting like very depressed all the time and very like like I said in summer of 2019 it was definitely the most challenging. I was working so hard but I wasn't seeing any results. So it's it's definitely helped me a lot 
um, to be with her. And it's just, it's not like a guy where sometimes you guys will compete for something and this isn't like competitive at all. It's just strictly helping each other no matter what. So. I'm just curi- curious also, you, you know, you, you mentioned being an athlete and, you know, eating well and, and exercising a lot. Are, are, do you still try to keep up those habits? I mean, you, I know you say you take a walk outside, but do you still go to the gym or do you still play soccer with folks? Um, not really like trading basically is what, like I'll revolve my life around. Like it's kind of hard to, to like have, I'm not at the stage yet where, like I said, like when I tried to travel and, and move and I was doing all these things, like that's when my trading like was not going well. So I really need to just be focused on trading and I do the best that I can with eating healthy and getting outside and working out. But like some days when I'm either tired or the market's super busy, like I don't like get the proper, um, what I would like to get in. Um, so it's, it's been a little bit challenging and I'm, that's definitely a step that I want to work towards the older that I get, but I understand right now that I'm young, like I'm only 22 and you know, I can suffer not eating a meal and, um, not going to the gym and not working out every single day and not exercising. I can kind of withstand that right now, but as I get older, I want to make sure that I'm getting that in and kind of moving that up in front of trading, honestly, because health is, you know, one of the most important things out there. It's more important than wealth, but right now with the hot market, I'm just trying to use all the gas in my tank to put towards trading. That makes sense. One of the things, so I'm a little bit older, I'm in my thirties here. So I can't, you know, I have to maintain a little bit of healthy lifestyle or it catches up with me very quickly. Uh, so I would say if you're going to uh, reintegrate or if you're trying to work, figure out where you can insert some exercise, I always find that in the morning you have to just, you know what, you can always get up 30 minutes earlier and go for a run or, or do whatever you do. But I always, you know, I think that if you get that, that time in, in the morning, um, it's cause it's tough at the end of the day. I feel like it's really hard. You're at the end of the day, you're mentally exhausted, you're physically exhausted, you know, it might, you're just ready to, ha- to, to, to hang out, you know, get something to eat, have a drink and just relax. Uh, but in the morning, if you wake up first thing and make a habit of it, I think it's really, you can, you can make a, a, a pretty solid habit. Anyway, that's, that's what I do. Well, that's what I was doing before the baby showed up and I'm hoping to get back to uh, here soon. Right now, I'm just trying to get enough sleep. So yeah. Well, the thing with that, that I found was like, you know, I tried waking up and doing that, like going to the gym earlier, tried like working out early. And I just found myself when I was showing up to the market, I was so much more like amped up and like, I was ready to fire. I was ready to do this, do that, like punch a hole in the computer. And I was just very amped up. Whereas I kind of like to wake up, like I like to be lazier in the morning. So it doesn't affect my trading where I just go in and I just start buying all these stocks and doing all this. Like I find just sipping on a coffee, like taking a shower, like just relaxing a little bit, like walking around, putting the heat on, like putting some clothes on, making my bed maybe. And just like taking everything like very easy helps me ease into the market and not go in there and just hit a million buttons. And then sometimes I find personally my favorite time to work out is midday because that helps me get away and that helps me reset a little bit for the afternoon, which the afternoon isn't even my um, like block to be trading. Like I always size way down in the afternoon because there's just less volume and less volatility where the morning's a lot more easy to capitalize on uh, quicker moves. So that's where I usually use my bigger size and then go maybe do some yoga or go for a walk. Um, sometimes go play golf, whatever, and then come back and just trade a little bit in the afternoon, just because like, it probably doesn't even make sense, honestly, for me to trade like in the afternoons because 
it's kind of more 50 50 and there's less volume and I get annoyed a lot more, but like I said, it's just about putting in the reps and seeing little things that you're going to pick up on down the road. No, that makes sense. I get it. Yeah. Everyone, like we talked about earlier, everyone's got to find what works for them. Um, I do the workout and then I would usually, and then I would usually try to meditate afterwards. That would bring me back. Cause I'm with you. Like, if you work out first thing in the morning, that's better than coffee. You know, I'm amped. I'm ready to go yeah, at that point. Yeah. So I actually usually try to put in a few minutes of meditation to kind of just refocus. Yeah, it's a good idea like that. So, yeah. So, yeah, but I, but yeah. All right. Well, that's awesome. I think you really hit on a lot of points. One other thing I just wanted to touch on, you said you moved to Michigan. So you actually physically removed yourself from your comfortable surroundings and put yourself in uh, the middle of, I don't know where you were at in Michigan. Were you in the middle of nowhere? Were you in uh, in Detroit or something? No, I was pretty much in the middle of the state, just not really around too many things. Like there wasn't, there wasn't really many things. I mean, Dom was there and a few friends, but you know, Dom has family and a girlfriend and friends. And I, you know, I didn't have any of that. I didn't have a car. I didn't have like pretty much anything. I just, made do with my computer in my room and just you know worked and I did have I did bounce a lot of ideas off Dom but there just came to a point to where like I was putting in so much more work than anybody around me that I was just like all right I've came here I've did all the work possible like now it's time to just go back and just continue to work on myself and then I came back to Connecticut and I've worked on myself I've moved to apartment I was with my mom for a little bit and now I am in um New Hampshire, where getting some tax benefits and um, it is closer to my girlfriend uh, because we actually met at the Sykes conference in Florida. So we met there and we just ended up being like an hour or two away from each other. But now I'm a little bit closer. So it's nice to be close to her. And I'm still at my, you know, I'm still at my own apartment and just working and just doing it every doing it up every day, man. Well, awesome. Well, congratulations to you. It sounds like you've had a, a, an incredible journey so far. And I think you're going to have a lot of success uh, in front of you uh, to, to have accomplished so much just at 22 years old. What, what's next for you? Do you have plans? I mean, is are you, uh, do you want to make a billion dollars trading? What's how, how what's the next? What's your plans? Um, really, my my target goal for when like I started, like the big target goal I put on uh, was a million, which I am creeping up towards um, here pretty soon. But after I hit that, probably just maybe take uh, a few days off and just kind of reset and think about new goals and new plans. And it's just becoming, as I make more and more, it's not even like, it's less and less about the money. I just like achieving, I just like achieving high. Like that's, I just like setting goals or whatever, just to achieve high. Like it's not even about the money. Like I still drive a 2003, Toyota Highlander with 195,000 miles and it's awesome like I want to like spend my money I just want to continue to get better at trading help people in trading maybe develop something make you do whatever and just enjoy myself and be able to do whatever I want as I get older um, money is security and freedom which is really nice and if I want to you know pick up something down the road I will be able to Right now it's golf. I've been really into golf and I've been really enjoying um, getting better at it because when you do start something, you see less and less um, improvements down the road. Whereas when you first start, you see so many improvements and it makes you so happy because you go from knowing nothing to knowing something. 
Whereas then every day, it's just about getting 1% better. So it is nice that that first leap of growth, like nothing felt better than when I made my first um, 100,000, my first big $47,000 month, like that felt the best. And then after that, it's just about um, slowly getting better and better. That's a good point. You reminded me of somebody earlier when you were talking about just performing at an elite level. Uh, and it was actually, people may or may not remember this, but Kurt, I was a wrestler in high school. So I knew the name Kurt Angle and he won gold at the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. And if I remember the story correctly, they found him like a reporter found him out running at three in the morning, like he won the gold medal at like six or seven o'clock at night and three in the morning, he's out running. He goes, well, I'm going to make sure that nobody's, nobody's getting an edge on me at this point. So I just think that's really cool that just performing at an elite level, you have to put in the extra hours. You have to put in the time that other people aren't willing to put in. You have to do things other people aren't willing to put, aren't willing to do to perform at those elite, uh, those really elite levels. So, yeah. So you reminded me of Kurt Angle, if you knew who that, if you know who that is. <laughs> no, I didn't know, but now I do. Yeah, there you go. Um, oh, we've, we've covered a lot here. I think we've really got a great story on you. It sounds like the beginning of a story, really, um, as young as you are. I would love to have you back on at some point in the future and see where you go with your life. Cause I, I think it just, it's amazing what you've been able to do, how disciplined you've been. So, you know, so early on and what you've been able to accomplish, you know, at the age of 22, I think you're, you know, far and above what I was able to accomplish by the time I was 22. So, uh, so good on you. So is there anything you'd like to leave us with or uh, contact information? If somebody wants to get in touch with you. Um, my Instagram is, jack kellogg which it's where i do accept um dms if you guys want to answer me any questions and then my other platform is uh twitter which is jackaroo underscore trades i do not accept um dms there but you can tweet at me or respond to my tweets and i will respond to you but um no dms there and if you want to follow my trades it's profitly slash jackaroo that's where I post all my trades every single morning. This is what I'm big on too, is just refreshing and resetting, getting your trades out there from the day before every single morning. Don't do any of this bullshit where you post them every week or every month, like every single day, get your trades out there, reset and refresh for the next day. All right, great. And we'll link to all of that in the, uh, in the show notes. So we'll link to both your, your Twitter, Instagram, and your Profitly. All right, cool. All right. So there is another part of the show. Um, we like to have a little fun here at the end. Brian has the question of the day and I don't get to hear it. You don't get, nobody's heard this before. Just Brian's come up with it and we're going to answer it here on the spot. Sometimes it's about trading. Sometimes it's about life. So it's just uh, it's a mystery. So Brian. This was more of an interesting statistic, but I'll ask it in the form of a question and then maybe it'll prompt a discussion. Okay. So uh, I, I'm stealing this, you know, I, I read a lot of Reddit. So this comes from one of the Reddit investing threads, you know, one of the questions or points they were making. So here's the, here's the, I guess the, the interesting statistic. So maybe you can guess uh, Americans younger than 50 hold what percent of all investable assets according to Bloomberg. So what do you think? Americans under the age of 50 relative to the rest of the, the people over 50. So you're, you're offering that that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the question. So then that'll be an interesting statistic and then we can discuss the statistic. So what do you think, Michael? You want, do you have a guess? Americans My guess is the, the, the percentage yeah. of investable that Assets. people under 50 own? Yeah. 
Um, under 50, I'd love to say 20%. 20%. What do you think? Higher or lower, Jack? Um, I'm going to go lower. Yeah, so it's, it's actually 16%, but you're very close, Michael. Uh, that's, that's not bad. Yeah, that's, I wasn't too far off. So, yeah, so I mean, I think that was a, as a startling statistic. So, most, it's actually most of the money in the market, or at least most of the invested assets in the market, are for people over the age of 50 uh, when you think about it. And maybe to me, at least when I read that statistic, it makes you think, you know, I guess we really are, you know, small, you know, small fish in a big pond whenever you're making your trades. That, that, this was the inference for me. But I, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts about that statistic. What makes me wonder a little bit is as these people retire, are they going to start cashing out? You know, markets move. Everyone tries to, you know, put all these different things on it in terms of the macroeconomics, uh, you know, overbought, oversold you know, valuations and this, that, and the other, but I don't buy any of that. It all comes down to supply and demand really. And every market, every free market out there comes down to supply and demand. So if there's all of a sudden, all these people that begin cashing out, that's a lot more sellers than buyers, which could trigger under flat decade. Like we saw, you know, at best case, it's a flat decade at worst case we have an actual, you know, an actual, like maybe like a 10 year, bear market or something right is that i don't or know maybe, i'm just I'm maybe those old people give out inheritances to young people and then those young people go invest in stuff too i mean i, I don't know but i that's one possibility you're, you're right I, I don't know what do you think jack um i think that investing was a lot easier when these you know these older people were our age all there was a bunch of new business and new companies and now i just feel like these people are, they're just riding their winners, right? They're just, they're just in from solo and they're just riding and they don't really care what happens. But like right now, I just don't think it would be wise to invest in the market. So I feel like that's why we don't see a lot of these younger people just uh, investing into these stocks because everything is just up so high. So maybe eventually when the bear market does come, like there'll be a new wave of buyers you know, when all the older people start cashing out, then there'll be the new wave of 50 and younger to buy and start that uh, uptrend again, maybe. It's, it's really interesting you say that because I, I actually have friends and people I know that said, oh man, I missed the rally. You know, I, I'm too late. Like it's too high right now. I can't put any money in. And then, you know, and it's been, they've been saying that for like the last three years, right? So it's just, been, it just keeps going higher, right? So they're, I mean, I mean, they're they're waiting for that eventual pullback if, if it comes. But I think that's you know, I think you're totally on point. I, I I hear that from people. So I wonder, and I don't know if they provided this on Reddit, but what was the historical level? Oh yeah, so it was higher in the past, certainly higher in the past. Uh, okay. Let me see if I can pull that. Uh, it used to be thirty-one percent in nineteen eighty-nine. Okay, yeah. So that's a huge. That's that's a big difference, really. Wow, that's actually very significant. Yeah, this is a Bloomberg data. So, so this is actually 2016's data. So it might, I mean, maybe, I don't know if it's gone up or down since then, but that was the most recently available statistic. Well, I mean, I think it, a lot of it, if you remember back, we, uh, we talked to uh, Trail Ridge Financial, Carl. We talked to Carl, and he even mentioned, you know, that different assets perform differently over time and stocks aren't always performing that well. He goes, you know, we, we look at 9% as historical, but then all of a sudden, when you when you have a decade in there, like the 2000s, 2000, 2010, where stocks were flat the whole decade, um, you know, that can really make a big impact on those. 
on on that on those on those numbers on the statistics and i think the fact too like you mentioned all of your friends you know me and brian are in our 30s jack's in his 20s all of our friends have been burned right they're so used to their what they keep putting money into their 401k or their ira and for some reason it never seems to get anywhere right or it, or it goes up really high and then it, it can crash back down you know we've we've dealt with quite a bit in our lifetime we've seen different market than our uh that our parents and grandparents did yeah, yeah. i think I think it's really very impressionable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember my grandparents, I mean, they went through like the 1920s, you know, depression. So like, I mean, you hear about people from that era, you know, like when they were children, like they still hoard stuff, you know, that affects their mentality. Right. You know, and if you came out of like the 2011, you know, that job market of 28, 2000, the early 2000s, you know, early 20 teens, you know, kind of what the challenge was there. I mean, I would just say like, again, timing wise, you know, you know, for at least for me, you know, getting a job in 2011 was, I was really fortunate. And then if you were just investing normally in your 401k, you did pretty well over the time, you know, 2011 to now, but you know, yeah, we have no idea where the future is going, but, um, but yeah, I, I just, I thought, I thought that was something interesting to, to see. Jack, it sounded like you had a comment there. Um, I don't, frankly, I don't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> no worries. I don't know. I, I think some of the, the historic levels are always saying they're always very interesting and how they really, at the same time, like they don't apply to an individual stock on an individual day. Yeah. There's always money to be made somewhere, but uh, <laughs> sometimes, uh, but yeah, in aggregate, it can be flat. That's for sure. Cause you know, that was, that was even an interesting thing. Somebody was saying, I saw it in one of my uh, Facebook investing groups that I'm in. And somebody's like, Oh, if Biden gets elected, he's going to enact the green new deal and all the markets are going to crash. I'm like, did you see the amount of green energy stocks that just quadrupled in the past two weeks here? You know, like, you know, just because one industry might hurt doesn't mean all. You know. uh, and I've seen Jackman playing the marijuana stocks. You know, I think you've been doing pretty well, you know, riding these some uh, political bumps there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Weed stocks I'm very familiar with. And I, I'm eagerly waiting till it gets federally legalized because there's going to be a big, you know, buy the rumors, sell the news kind of thing where they probably will run until that. Uh, legalization date and i'm so familiar with all the tickers because i've traded them in the past when canada was legalizing it and there's been so many just little blimps of um weeds that got hot and now we've been in such a bare weed market that when the biggest potential catalyst does come out i think there's massive upside on so many of these weed stocks yeah they've been beaten down so hard i mean yeah, yeah i'm waiting <laughs> hope you're late i think there's, there might be a few bag holders out there <laughs> too waiting <laughs> yeah. yeah there's definitely probably a lot of bag holders <laughs> because people <laughs> bought it from the original hype and they're probably still just holding and it's just been in such a downtrend but hopefully a lot of them just have gotten weeded out through uh these last couple years or this last year here where it's literally just been straight down yeah that's one thing i always kind of like consider like uh resistance from six months ago or or beyond really not that significant anymore because like those people are so ingrained in that position right now. In the first six months, I feel like they're, they're itching. They're just dying to get back even. But after six months, I feel like they've kind of accepted their fate and they're just willing to hold it, you know, forever. Just about. Yeah. Your mindset definitely changes the longer that you hold the position for it. Yeah. All right. Well, good deal. I think we've covered quite a bit here. I think I like that. I like that. That, that statistic you brought up, I think that's fascinating. 16% is held by people under 50. That's, that's going to be a reckoning. That's right. 
unless the Fed just comes in and buys up as they're cashing out, which is yeah. very possible too. So, yeah, yeah that's probably will be the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Well, I. Re- Jack, thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed this interview with you. Really enjoyed getting to get to know you on a, a, just a personal level a little more and the journey that's brought you to this point. Um, I hope you hit a million dollars here in the next couple of weeks, uh, but congratulations on your success so far. I don't want to you know, downplay $900,000. That's an incredible uh, accomplishment, especially for a 22-year-old. It's an incredible accomplishment for anybody. Yeah, thanks. It's been uh, quite the journey so far, and it was really fun to get on here and just – you know, shoot the shit on stocks and everything. So thanks for having me on. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Jack. With that, I guess we'll close it up. Uh, This has been Trading for Keeps. I'm Brian. And this is Michael.